So good morning, everybody. <laughs> it's nice that uh, I do recognize a few faces out there still, which is nice. Uh, but every time I come back, there's just a few more that uh, I don't recognize. Now, that could be me, <laughs> or that could be you. We don't know yet, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, my trip got a little bit, uh, yeah, thwarted, sidetracked, uh, and it's been, it's been that way ever since. Uh, when I started, I was supposed to come in November um, and didn't make it because I got COVID, and that was tough. So it delayed it by three weeks. And then when I got back, I had to think about, okay, how do I, how do I cut three weeks out of this trip? Who do I not see? Who do I see? What happens? Um, and the, the trip started off well, and then COVID came to the family again. One of my daughters in university brought it to Christmas. So she got quarantined, and then my wife was flying at the time, and she was notified, so I got her a hotel and then, uh, for three days until we could find another scenario for her, another house for her and the two smallest kids. Uh, and then uh, she came to us after those three days in the hotel, and she said, I don't feel well, and we tested her, and she had COVID. Now, she didn't get that from us because she hadn't been around us for, <laughs> for weeks. Um, so uh, she couldn't have Christmas uh, with us. So the trip has just been like that. It's just been, ah. But I remember when I, when I first told Joel that I was coming or supposed to come in November, um, I didn't say anything about preaching. I just said, I'll, I'll be there. We'll be there for about this time and, and that'll be great. Um, and secretly, I was hoping that he wouldn't ask me to preach. I, I know I'm a missionary. I should always want to preach, right? That's I had, a, I had a, a, a boss once that said, always be ready to preach, pray, or die. <laughs> That's a, that was his motto, uh, and he taught that to me. Uh, so it's a little bit weird that a missionary doesn't want to preach. And uh, Debbie said, oh, he'll ask you. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if he will. Well, sure enough, after a couple days, came an email asking me to preach. Um, and I didn't know if I had the, you know, the guts to turn it down uh, or if I should just <laughs> accept and go out with life. Uh, of course, my wife said, you got to accept it. You can't turn that down. Uh, you got to let people know what's going on, and that's one way to do so. So here I am. But I think my trepidation is a little bit from the fact that I've moved into a counseling ministry. And so for the last years, seven years, I've been doing more counseling than preaching and teaching. Um, and the last two years, you know, churches shut down and everything shut down. There has been no preaching whatsoever. So I just feel like I'm a little rusty. And I uh, haven't been doing it in a while, and it, it's not coming natural necessarily. I didn't know if it was like, okay, is it like getting back on a bike, and I just do it, and then everything's going to be fine? Um, and so I think that's where my, my, my hesitancy comes, because I work with individuals in a different context than working with groups and teaching and preaching. And so, uh, uh, yeah, so here it goes. So it, it kind of, you know, my sermon, I don't even know if you can call it a sermon, it's probably more sharing. Uh, <laughs> more seminar-like, um, was developed out of that idea of, of uh, you know, I don't really want to preach, so what do, I, what do I say? What do I do? And in Joel's email, he did say, it's okay if you're rusty, we're fine with that. And then he said, just pretend that we're in a counseling session and you guys are the counselees and I'm the counselor and then we'll go from there. So I hope you guys are ready to bear all. Because <laughs> we're going to start. No, I won't, I, won't, I won't do that to you. Um, but I did, it did make me think maybe, 
Maybe I could share something about my ministry. I can't share details because it's confidential. So I can't go into personal details or into counseling sessions. I can do general, generalities uh, of what I do. So I started thinking about what can I, what can I share that would be helpful um, for a congregation to have. Um, and so that's what I did. I thought, I'll, I'll just share what is, what is one of the things or a few of the things that I do in a counseling session that is actually helpful for everybody and not just helpful for counselors or counselees. So um, <clears throat> let me tell you how I got into counseling. I, I tell people I fell into counseling, which probably isn't true. God probably did have a part in that somehow, but, but that's what I say. I say I fell into counseling because I was in a teaching, kind of preaching ministry for 16 years, and then when I moved away from that ministry into another ministry, they looked at all the experience I had with the students and they put me in member care for the mission. And then in member care, it wasn't, you know, hospitality. They had a section of hospitality in member care and it wasn't like seminars or, or teaching. They put me in the counseling sector of the member care. Um, and that's because being a Bible school principal, I'd have students in my office all the time asking questions about boyfriends, girlfriends, past issues, future issues, what do I do, <laughs> conflict. So I had a kind of a lay counseling role in that already, and they saw that and thought, okay, this would be good if he, we put him there. But what they didn't know is that my theological degree, my four-year degree, gave me one course in counseling in those four years. <laughs> so I'm like, I really don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and therefore, I thought, well, I should probably just take some extra courses, do some personal development in the counseling sector, so I could do the best job possible for the people that are coming to me. And that's kind of how I started. As I did learn, I did, uh, I did kind of reflect back on some of my students that I had and I counseled, and I thought to myself, I hope they're okay. Because <laughs> I would do things totally different now than I did back then. <laughs> so, so I did, there was some growth and learning that, that came about, which was, which was fine. But that's kind of how I got into counseling. And... Uh, so, but when I step into a counseling situation, of course, it's a, it's a, it's a counseling relationship. It's not, I'm not friends with the people, and, and we try to keep those relationships a little bit distant. Uh, but when I go into a counseling scenario, um, I go all over the preliminaries and give them all the information first, but when we start the counseling, there's one thing that I do that I'm responsible for. Does anybody know what that is? Say it again, louder. Listen. <laughs> Were you here before? <laughs> I listen. That is my role. I mean, I have other roles. I have other things going on, but I have to start with listening. I have to get the story. I have to try to figure out what is going on, and I can only do that if I listen intently. If I don't listen, I'm not going to be with them. If I don't listen, I'm not going to get it. If I don't listen, I'm not going to have any, any real help that can be given, and I can't really walk with them. So we've got to listen. The problem is, it's hard to listen. It's hard, it's hard to listen intently. We kind of do it all the time. I, I'll, I'll give an example for me. If I was in a sermon that you know, I wasn't too interested in, I'd start thinking about the softball game I have this afternoon, and I wonder how I'm going to play and, oh, won't it be fun to play softball? 
And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in the room, I'm sitting in the church, and I'm not listening. I'm not hearing what's going on. And we, and we, we kind of do that. We can do that very, very quickly. So sometimes, sometimes we, uh, we have a, a tendency to think, how am I going to respond to this person? Right? They're talking, and they're telling me some deep, dark secrets, and I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta have a response for this. And so I start thinking about my response. And all of a sudden, I'm not listening anymore. And that can be problematic. Or I start thinking about, well, what they said, that wasn't really true. They've got some theology that's, that's wacko, or they've got you know, some perspective on the situation that just isn't, isn't really true, and I need to correct them. I need to get in there, and I need to tell them that, nope, no, that's, that's not right. But as soon as I start thinking about how I can correct what they're saying... And what I think is true compared to what they think is true, I'm not listening anymore. And it becomes, it becomes really difficult to listen. So here's, a, here's a, a, a verse. There's a lot of verses in the Bible about listening. Um, but here's one that I enjoy. Well, maybe I shouldn't say enjoy. Here's the one I don't like. <laughs> to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. That's getting the cart before the horse, Right? It's, it's, it's doing it backwards, and there's no help that can come from that at all. And as a matter of fact, shame on us. If we, if we can't listen, shame on us. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good. Right? We, need, we need to uh, learn to be able to listen. Now, the question is, what am I listening for? What am I listening for in that kind of scenario? Because there's different types of listening, right? There's listening for information, there's listening for instruction. There's a lot in Scripture about listening, listening to God's instruction, right? Uh, that means doing what He says is what that means. There's listening for correction, okay? So there's all sorts of different types of listening. What type of listening am I doing? What am I trying to hear? What am I trying to listen to? It is partially informational, but that's only a part of it. I'm not just looking for information bites, that I can hold over their head or that I can know about them or that I can, I, I don't know. I have to listen for information because that's where it comes through. But what am I actually listening for? I'm actually listening for what's underneath the content that they're giving me. Like they'll give me content, words, expressions, situations, things that happen to them. They'll give me that content. But I'm looking for what is the emotional response to that content? Because that's where people get stuck. It's in the emotional response. And we want to try to, we want to, try to get down there as best we can um, because if we can sit with them in that emotion and understand it a bit, then we can help them move forward. So I'm listening for emotional response. Here's a... Here's a um, quote. It's hard to listen when you're talking or when you're thinking of a response. <laughs> okay? Just can't do that. Just can't do that. So, as I'm listening for the emotion underneath the content, what do I do then? What, what happens with that? What, what does that listening do for the person that's sitting across from me? Well, one of the things it does is it, it provides them a... a feeling of being empathized with, 
Okay? So empathy comes out of listening. If I don't listen, I can't be empathetic. I just can't. So what's empathy? You know, a lot of different definitions out there. Um, I like Brene Brown's definition where she says uh, empathy, let me, I think I might have that. Let me see. Do I have it? Yes. Right there. I'll come back to this. Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Okay? So empathy has to be a part of the scene because what I'm trying to do really is I'm trying to connect with that person somewhere. Now, I may not have had the same experiences as they had. Um, and even if I had the same experiences that they had, I, I rarely would say and almost try not to say, I understand. Because <laughs> I don't understand. We have different views on that experience, even if it's the same thing. Um, and so I've got to try to understand what is their understanding, what is their uh, emotional state, what is their emotional reaction to the content that they've gone through or the situation they've gone through. I've got to try to do that. Okay? Can't do that without listening. Can't even come close. I've got to listen first, and then through my listening, I can express empathy. And all I'm, do, all I'm trying to do is I'm trying to connect with something that they feel. I'm trying to find something in me that might feel similar to what they feel. I can't get the same feeling, but if I can get close, then I can communicate a little bit about what they're feeling and help them. I've always wanted to preach on this verse. I'm, I'm not preaching on it, but I got it in my sermon, which is great. <laughs> oh, not that one. Got to go backwards. Hit the wrong button. Right there, okay? The verse that I've always wanted to preach on is, is John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Because <laughs> in English, it's the shortest English version <laughs> verse in the Bible, right? Uh, but I like this here because it shows, it shows an aspect of, of Jesus' empathy, right? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Talking about Lazarus. They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then it just says, Jesus wept. That's a, that's, a, that's a great verse. Now, he could have been weeping because he loved Lazarus as well. Okay, so it could have been a personal thing. But it seems like here it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and saw the Jews that were with her weeping. Then he had an emotional response and he wept. He was connecting with the, emotion, the emotional experience that they were having. He was connecting with the sadness that they were feeling because their friend was gone. And Jesus knew what he was going to do. <laughs> so he had a little extra information that they didn't have. But he still experienced that emotion even though he knew what was going to happen. Because I think he was connecting with them. He was siding with them. That's what listening can do, and that's what empathy can do. It can help a person open up and feel like, okay, we're part of this. Okay? So listening, um, listening promotes empathy. Okay? One of the things that we have to be careful of is, uh, and it's hard, it's hard for us to do, um, we have to be careful not to judge, okay? We have a tendency, we have a tendency to, 
judge. Like we hear what's going on and we have a judgment against it, either, either against them or, or something. And we have, to, we have to try to figure out how can we keep judgment out of the picture, out of the counseling room. No matter what is said, not judging anybody. Because that's not my job, right? Technically, it's not our job either, is it? <laughs> it's God's job to judge. I think I have a verse here. Let's get to that. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I know as believers, we have some responsibility to those who are our fellow believers, right? We have some responsibility to, to, for correction. We have some responsibility to, to point out things if we see it. That's, that's scriptural. But I don't think that's judging. I think that's seeing what's reality and it's coming alongside to help, right? Judging has this over the top. I am better than you and I need to tell you what to do. That's the judgment. And if I can keep, if I can keep judgment out of the picture, I can listen better and I can show empathy better. So empathy is part of it. Not judging is also a part of the package that helps listening. Okay. Now, I, I said before that we're trying to get to the emotional content, uh, not the emotional content, we're trying to get underneath the content to the emotional response of, of what's being said. And we have to do that because that's where the stuckness happens. Okay? If we want to help, if we want someone to thrive, we've got to get down to that level. I can, I can stay at content. I can look at the content. I can say, here's a solution for that content. You know, if you change jobs, or if you do a different situation, or if you acted this way instead of that way, I can do all that. And it's not that we want to ignore that, but that's not where they're stuck. They're stuck at the emotional level. Okay? And another way that we can help, you know, try to help them get unstuck is we can validate their experience. Validate their experience. What, what do I mean by that? That's, that's simply um, giving, giving expression to them that says, you know what? What you're experiencing right now with what you're going through, that's normal. It's normal. I, I can see how you would feel that way. I may not feel that way. But we get to a tendency, if we're not careful, we get to a tendency to say something like, oh, don't feel that way. <laughs> Whoops. That, that doesn't help. That doesn't help. We just shut them down. We, we actually invalidated their experience. Now, validating an experience doesn't mean I agree with it. It doesn't mean that it's, it's, you know, it's truthful in general. It's true to them. That's what they're feeling. But sometimes we avoid validating things because we're afraid that they're going to feel like that's okay. And they can continue to do whatever they want. And so we hold back. But that's not the way it works. I think validating gives them, gives them a chance to breathe and go, okay, this, what I'm feeling, that is, in this circumstance, that is absolutely normal. And it's okay to feel that way. Now, validation is, it's not really that hard to validate somebody, okay? If, if a counselee is in my office and, and I want to validate them, sometimes all I say is, whew, I can see that. 
that makes sense to me, right? I'm not, I'm not saying anything major. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just acknowledging the fact that what they're experiencing, they should be experiencing in that circumstance. And I do it very simply. But if I validate them, then they feel more comfortable to share because often it starts off with little bits of information and they're feeling me out and see if they can trust me and then it'll go more and more and more. But if I, can, if I can show empathy towards them, somehow connect with an emotion that they have and that they're experiencing from the content that they're sharing and somehow say, what you're experiencing is, yeah, that, that's true, I get that. I get that. That makes sense to me. If I can do that, that's going to help them share more and it's going to tell them that I'm listening. Okay? Trauma is, a pers- is, is personal. It does not disappear if it's not validated. When it is ignored or invalidated, the silent screams continue internally, heard only by the one held captive. When someone enters the pain and hears the screams, healing can begin. Okay? That's the place we want to enter. That's what the counseling ministry is about. Uh, there are times that I have an opportunity to correct theology. There are times I can reframe scenarios that they're, they're experiencing a, a scenario that might have a different motivation, okay? There are times I can do that. But really what I want to do is I want to get into that emotional space that they're feeling, and I want to allow them to know that that's okay so that they can move past it. Because if we invalidate it, they can't move past it, and they're just stuck. And eventually the more stuckness that kind of builds up, eventually it comes out in nasty ways that we don't want to see. So listening can also help the validating process, can help you know when to validate. So... what you need to realize is that everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And you're listening for that emotional content, uh, the emotional response to content, and you're trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's this person been through? Because we often don't know. I remember Debbie, my wife, when she did, when she did student teaching uh, at a, you know, for her education, um, there was a student who was normally a model student, normally very pleasant, normally everything's okay, and uh, one day he was just out of control. One day he was, he was disrupting the class. He wasn't obeying, he wasn't doing his work. Everything was just in disarray, and he made the whole class in disarray. So my wife, who wasn't my wife then, <laughs> pulled him out to the hall and said, what is going on? And said, I'm gonna have to call your mom and she started wanting to deal with the behavior, right? Because the behavior was not helpful and the behavior needed to be eradicated. We need to stop it. So as she's telling him this, he had long sleeves on and he rolls up his sleeves and there's a perfect imprint of an iron on his arm. Now, he started saying, yeah, I was ironing my clothes this morning, and the iron fell and hit my arm, and 
Ah, it could be plausible, but usually if it falls, you're going to pull away and you're going to have a burn mark that's a line or, or, or something else. Not a perfect imprint of the bottom of an iron. The reality is something was wrong at home. The reality is he had a burn mark because someone put it there. Right? That was his story. Wow. She changed everything. <laughs> Instead of saying, uh, you know, I'm going to call your mom. Instead of saying, this behavior needs to stop. She all of a sudden heard what was going on, was able to ask questions, was able to listen, was able to figure out a little bit what's going on and then make a plan forward. Everyone has a story. Rather than reacting, let's, let's find out the story. Let's listen enough to find out the story. Okay. So how do you start listening well? How do you start listening better? I can stand up here and say, listen better. That would be great. <laughs> I can tell myself, listen better. What we need to do is we need to take a posture of curiosity. <laughs> a posture of curiosity. Okay? If I'm, if I'm curious about what's going on in a person, I'm going to have different questions for them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to find out what's underneath the surface. And if I live in that posture of curiosity, I'm just going to listen better. It's just going to automatically happen. But I've got to take that on. I've got to make that as part of my practice. How can I be curious about this person? What's going on with them? Now, why do I tell you this? Not only to give you a little insight into my ministry, but I think this component or these components are actually part of what the church should be doing anyway, right? I had a, I had a, a teacher. I, he, he wasn't my teacher because he was retiring and moving out uh, as I came to Columbia Bible College at the time. But I did have a class, a couple online classes with him, so I knew him, and I did have some personal contact with him. Um, but he said once in a chapel message, he said, because he, he taught Bible, and he was a great Bible teacher, um, but he also did counseling on the side and had a counseling ministry with students. And he said a statement that uh, I'll never forget. He said, if the church was doing what the church should do, 80% of my counseling ministry would be invalid. <laughs> because this is not interventions. This is not the hard stuff in counseling. This is, this is the normal stuff that should be happening among us. If we can learn to be curious about one another, if we can learn to, to ask those questions to you know, draw out what's going on with each other, if we can listen enough to empathize, connect with them, validate what they're going through, we can help people thrive better in the church. And we're helping one another. You know, it's not just one person helping. We're all helping each other try to thrive and be the best people we can be and serve the Lord, right? We can, we can do that. That's why I tell you, because I think it's not... It's not rocket science. It's something we all can do and should be doing. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for, yeah, just for this time and for your word that tells us and talks about listening and talks about uh, validating and uh, empathy. Help us to learn what those mean and how you want to use those in our lives and let us help each other thrive. Amen.